Today, we are tackling the shirtless wonders, the shirtless warriors of comics. Marvel, DC, they have their fair share of them, whether they're in the prehistoric times, whether they're in the jungles of Africa, whether they're in the far apocalyptic future. The shirtless wonders have always struggled, no matter what the talent, giant, talented artists, writers have tackled these characters, but they just can't seem to stick the landing. What is it? What is it with this trend? We're going to dive deep into Conan, Turok, Tor, Kazar, Killraven, Tarzan. Have you even heard of Korak and Commandy? We're going to discuss the phenomenon that is no shirts, no shoes, no service on today's all new Robservations. Hey everyone, welcome to another edition of Robservations. I am your host, Rob Liefeld. I have been making comics for 37 years. It is maybe my only area of expertise in my lifetime is comic books, all things comic books. We discuss comic books because now comic books covers everything. It's top movies, it's top shows, it's toys, it's so beyond comics, all the merchandising. Believe you me, I know about comic book merchandising. I have shelves and shelves and shelves of uh, Deadpool, Cable, X-Force, Youngblood, all of the merch, all the time. I, I display it. I dig it. I'll never, ever get tired of it because I have been into it since I was a kid. You know, Planet of the Apes, dolls. Let's just call them what they were. <laughs> dolls i've covered it here on my dad's like are, are, are we really playing with dolls now it's the only time he ever 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 gave me side eye great guy paul Lightfield constantly encouraged me but uh it was it was i think to their generation it's like wait you're, you're playing with barbies that, that look like apes yeah come on dad uh the merchandise the 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 planet of the apes l- later than the doors were blown off as we all know with star wars in 1977 and how do i know that because i was there i was nine years old Come on, man. I have watched this culture explode. And, and, and the great thing is it's guys like Lucas and Spielberg who had watched it from their youth and they wanted to remake the sci-fi serials and the action adventure serials of their youth. And so we're all trying to do, you know, what the generation before us did in terms of exciting us. We're trying to, you know, remake that magic. So much of that magic today comes from comic books. It's just part of our everyday existence now. I, I've covered it. And, and the reason I do at the top of most every show is, you guys, we all are watching streaming. Or maybe maybe some of you are like me and you haven't cut your cord yet. I still have cable. I know a lot of people are just doing, you know, downloading the apps, doing their Netflix, doing their Disney+. Plus. I go on my cable. I immediately get all my menus. You know, it 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 shows me... All of my apps that, that I've been watching and accessing, you know, HBO Plus, Hulu, Disney, Paramount Plus, uh, Netflix, I mean, Amazon Prime, all of it. Every single one of these has a superhero component to it. And we're all watching a version of these, you know, give or take which channel. And for them to have come out of the comic books that I yet loved as my youth, I will always just never, I say it every time, and, and we have not reached never yet because I have told you never Will I stop being just wowed by what has come from these four color comic books that I pulled off the spinner racks as, as, as a kid. Now, speaking to comic books, I just want to give you all a tremendous shout out. Thank you so much. Thank you for um, supporting comic stores 
It was a burden heavy on my heart before I signed off in 2022, my last episode. I said, support your local comic store. And I talked about some of the trials that were facing local comic stores here in Orange County. And I'm sure they're facing them in North Carolina, in Austin, in, uh, you know, in somewhere in Minnesota, in Idaho, in Wyoming, in, you know, wherever we're going to go, uh, there, there are comic stores that need us to support them. They, they take it, they take a giant risk in, in, in ordering books and putting them on the shelves. And we are the customers that need to, you know, give them our business in order for them to stay in business. And last week I went to my comic store to, you know, get my, my weekly allotment. It was actually a a heavier allotment. I I love right now when I can spend more at the store, I I feel like I bought as many back issue walls, wall books, back issues, uh, omni omnibuses, uh, trade paperbacks. When my friends come down and when I mean my other 50 late 40 year old friends come down, I always, uh, we, we swing by one of these stores so they can drop some coin there as well. If I'm up in Los Angeles, I try and hit up a store. The store that I was speaking to, I asked him how it was going. Obviously, this is now, you know, early January when I'm having this conversation with him last week. And he's like, well, you know, it's a little slow, but, you know, we're doing okay. The big thing right now for us is our our, our pull customers. And uh, this store has considerable overhead. They can they carry considerable stock. Uh, and and I, I just, again, if that is your store, big, small, medium, you know, uh, I would ask for you to support these stores. When I do my tours, when I did, you know, four stores in Florida over a weekend, when I did four stores in Texas over a weekend, uh, you know, you get all shapes and sizes. Not every store is a giant superstore. Some are, are, you know, more of a medium or a smaller store, but man, we need to support them as well. The, the, the inventory doesn't change. The comics don't cost less for the small store than they do for the big store. And, uh, <clears throat> I just continue to ask you guys, especially when he said pull customers and he literally got to be honest. He said right here, this is what I'm talking about. And he pulled out an entire, uh, short box and it was packed. You couldn't put another comic in there. They're, they're, they go, this is one guy's, uh, pull that we haven't, you know, he hasn't come in and picked up. And I got to be honest. I was aghast. I said, look, why aren't you like selling this now, I know the minute I say this, I'm so everyone has their different evaluation of what is fair. I'm going to tell you what I think is fair. And what I said to this guy uh, at the comic store, I think a three month, you know, uh, window, a, t- a time frame, moratorium, if you will, on picking up your books. Uh, after three months, get those books out, sell them online, sell them. You don't have to be stuck with books anymore. You don't have to carry them for a customer who is not keeping in good standing. Now, maybe that guy has hit hard times. I understand it, but now you're transferring that to the store and we want those stores to thrive. Our business is the direct market was built on the back of mom and pop stores. And I am just telling you, if you have a pull list and you know, Hey, work something out with the store, call them up right now, release them. Maybe, maybe they're holding some hot comics for you that could get $10, you know, uh, you know, double cover price. If they were to sell them, let them, you know, that's all I'm saying is, is just be fair to the store because the store, honestly, you know, they, they are very reluctant to betray their customers. They want you, but, but it, to come and pick those books up. But at some point having an entire short box full of books and not picking them up and asking your retailer to carry, I mean, just at a glance, $400, $400 in that, in that, you know, 
in that box, maybe more. You know, with the way comics are today, probably $500. I'm, I didn't really consider that most comics are now $5 a pop. So I'm saying $500 in that box. That is just that they, why are they buying $500 worth of comics for you so that you don't pick them up? That's, again, totally uncool. And uh, I would just ask, if you've got a store that your store's holding, go get it. I, I have a store here that buys stuff from me, and I feel bad if I don't pick it up same day when they notify me, same day. It never goes 24 hours. Same day I try and go because they have forwarded uh, their, you know, their bill in my favor for items that I asked them to get. Again, just I just want a healthy comic book industry. The biggest thing, it's not, you know, a $500 pull box is not going to close a store. I understand this. Again, I said they have large, large overhead. What's happening is comic book tastes are shifting. I'm going to be honest with you, you know, just like the box office changed and now it's only blockbusters are driving the box office and, and, and the mid-range movie is dead. I mean, case in point, I see all these ads for Jennifer Lopez, Josh Duhamel, uh, in, in this shotgun wedding, that movie would have been in theaters six years ago, and it probably would have opened to twenty million dollars, twenty five million dollars. Jennifer Lopez had had a run of 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 success. Um, it, it it's made by the guy who made Pitch Perfect. I'm not sure Pitch Perfect would make it in a, in a movie theater. It is the quintessential mid range movie. Now it's all about big giant blockbuster movies driving our cineplexes. In the cineplex, the cinema, your theater, able to put it in a, a th. You know, into an IMAX format, uh, in, into this 4DX, uh, PXD. I mean, there's there's PDX, whatever. There's all different sorts of formats to continue to enjoy Top Gun last summer and continue to ask people to share that experience with me. I had to keep going to these what I call roller coaster ride experiences, but I dug them. It was the first time I had you know interacted with them, and I know many of them have existed for the better part of the last five years. Not IMAX. I've been doing IMAX since IMAX happened. I'm talking. The PXD or PDX, sorry, PDX and the the um the 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 other the four X uh these these you know where your 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 theater the, the the seat goes forward sideways thrusts you all around squirts water in your face um especially you know you'd think Top Gun you wouldn't get a lot of that you do every time they're in the ocean on the aircraft carrier you're getting <laughs> you're getting sprayed in the face with water man I just turned my application off I'm like wait you can turn this off but they blow wind on you um. You know that the, the, all of these different, basically, uh, <clears throat> what I call roller coaster uh, uh, theme park, you know, uh, amusement park applications. That that's the kind of stuff that that I am talking about when I when I'm when I'm telling you about. Here it is. Here, guys, it's Screen X, 40X, RPX. Okay, look, I've seen them all. I dig them, but the theaters are surviving on big giant. You know, tent pole movies now driving people, you know, putting, putting, putting asses in the seats, whether it's Avatar, whether it's Top Gun, those are the two biggest movies of the year for a reason. They're spectacular. They're big. They, they, they thrive with wider screen experiences. When comic books, what, what, what kept comic book stores thriving for so long, and it was in my day when I was growing up, my generation, what, what drove us, what drove my, you know, fan base not my, not my own fan base I'll get, fan base I'll get to the 90s in a minute but the 70s 80s end of the 70s early 80s I mean you had the X-Men phenomenon the the Burn Claremont X-Men that drove people they had to get it they had to get their fix every 30 every 30 days the Avengers by George Perez John Byrne boom drove me to the spinner rack uh the, look 
I, I mentioned Micronauts had me for many years. Started off with 12 straight issues of some of the best art ever producing comics. Michael Golden, some incredible stories by Bill Mantlo. Daredevil, Frank Miller, holy crap, a three-year run that was like, I can't miss it. I can never miss it. And then right in, the, in between there, George Perez goes over and in 1980 you know, gives you the Teen Titans. And he reboots the Teen Titans, introducing Starfire, Cyborg, uh, Raven. And suddenly, there's all these different books. That, that, that's five or six books that I have to check up on. Then Walt Simonson comes on Thor. John Byrne goes on, goes on Fantastic Four, gives me Alpha Flight. And I am running to see what these creative teams are doing and how they're transforming the comic book landscape with these incredible uh, stories and art pushing the envelope. Well, in the late 80s, suddenly you had myself, Jim Lee, Todd McFarland, Eric Larson, I'll call it the Image Guys, Mark Silvestri, Wills Portacio, obviously Dale Keown came later, uh, Larry Stroman, uh, whom I miss in Sam Keith, uh, Jim Valentino. We all wanted to recreate that magic that we got from Jim Starlin, John Byrne, George Perez, Frank Miller, Walt Simonson. We wanted to recreate that. So we were trying to do the same thing that they did. And you benefited the way I benefited because I saw how you guys showed up and you took our sales to the next level. And what has happened in comics since that time in the 90s is a lack of creative teams. Now we transferred that and gave you Youngblood and Spawn and Wildcats and Dragon and all the image titles. But then as the 2000s wound down, whatever it is, and I've never looked, you know, maybe when I retire, I'll go and I'll do the reconnaissance and I'll ask the questions and get the tough answers because they're out there. You've heard the rumors. You've heard all the, the fact that when the uh, Bill Jemis, Joe Quesada regime took over, they didn't want to glorify artists. They wanted to invest in writers, make writers the hot thing, more writers. Writers can do four or five books. If we make the writers the star, we can, we, we, we can you know, back them in a way that the artists used to drive everything. Everything I just told you, all the comics that have excited me and you were driven by the writer-artist team. John Byrne, writer-artist. Frank Miller, writer-artist. Okay? Uh, Walt Simonson, writer-artist. Howard Chaikin, writer-artist. Jim Starlin, writer-artist. Eventually, George Perez, when he did Wonder Woman, became a writer-artist. Uh, we did the same thing. You followed us. There was the beginning of the the mega event. I think that they, 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 they picked up what Secret Wars tapped into in the 80s and in the 2000s. That's when you got your House of M. You got your Civil War. You got your World War Hulk and your, uh, you know, uh, Siege. All these different storylines. Uh, DC decided everything with a crisis would become something. Identity crisis, dark crisis, uh, uh, double crisis. I know there was just a ton of crises and, and retailers would tell me that. they have really, Dan DiDio loves his crisis. Man, that was a tit he loves sucking on. It was crisis, 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 crisis. And, uh, you know, uh, so DC and Marvel were out eventing each other, but suddenly you get to event f- fatigue. And um, it's like, well, the ramifications of this are not mattering in the way that I was told that they mattered. And so I'm going to back away. What we're missing right now in comic books is organic storytelling, storylines, creators, creating something that, that, that builds from word of mouth. And that is what I go back to because you're like, Liefeld, you've gone off the edge. No, the retailer told me nothing is driving people into the stores right now. Nothing is driving. In, and, and right now I'm going to tell you, there is no equivalent to Frank Miller's Daredevil or Walt Simonson's Thor or John Byrne's Fantastic Four, much less John Byrne's X-Men, much less P- Perez's Titans, okay? I'm a comic book fan. I would know. 
I glance, I look, I check it out. Um, you know, creative teams don't have that consistency. They're not uh, sticking on books long enough. They're not building uh, that that same kind of equity with with the with the fans. When you think about Todd did Amazing Spider-Man for several years, then went on and did a solid year of the new Spider-Man book that he launched, and that gave you like a four-year experience. Uh, Jim Lee and myself jumped on X titles, stayed on those for better part of two years. So you get to 24 issues, then you flip it to image and you give them another 10 and suddenly you're at 34, 36. That's a huge chunk. You started 15, you turned 18. You started 16, you turned 19. Let's go 13 to 16. That is an age gap. When I started reading John Byrne's X-Men, it was 1977. I was nine years old. When he left in 1980, I, I am now 12, 13. So, so the, he was a huge part of my youth and we just connect in the most powerful way right now in comics. I'm overwhelmed. I go, I look at the store, I look at the shelves and I see 18 Batman comics. That means over four Batman comics, almost five Batman comics are shipping every month from DC who clearly is at a somewhat of a creative crossroads. And I'm not telling you that my retailer is telling you that they say that people walk right by DC now just to buy Marvel says he has his DC fans, but, but there is not a crossover. He, I haven't heard this in a long time. And this kid who's telling me is 29 years old. I am 55 years old. So he looks a lot younger to me. And he says, you know, we got these Marvel zombies. They just won't make the jump to DC books. There's some good stuff. I wish they'd check out, but they're just buying their, their Marvel. Now, again, where Marvel will always trump DC. And I've covered this in many podcasts is families. <clears throat> Bat- DC has one home run family. It's Batman. They've struggled with everything else. They just have. Marvel can throw the Spider-Man fam- family at you. Make that the subject of one or two months. Then boom, flip to the Avengers family. Make that the, 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 the focus. Then boom, X-Men events, okay? Then they're going to go to their, you know, supernatural realm and they can, they can throw Ghost Rider and Doctor Strange, you know? And within the Avengers, they have the Avengers family of the solo heroes, Thor, Iron Man, Cap. They can ignite that along with their Avengers titles. They've, they've got uh, just... So many different families, Star Wars, ever since they took back Star Wars, they are throwing tons of Star Wars events and titles at you. And look, that's five families right there. You got Spider-Man, Avengers, X-Men, Star Wars, and let's call it classic Marvel, whether it's Hulk, Cap, Iron Man, Thor, okay? I mean, five families. And and, and within the families, there's other families. There was a period where, and it was right, you know, look, it wasn't an accident that it was happening between those Venom movies that Venom blew up four titles, okay? So what's going on in comics is weird. We're going to continue to report back on it, discuss it. But I'm just telling you, right now, there are very few. You can go, but but Rob, there's so-and-so guys. They've done 18 issues. Yeah, but if I don't know about it, then that proves my point. I am actively seeking out talents that I like and that I follow. Did I buy the new Mark Miller, uh, Jorge Jimenez nemesis? I did. It's going to be one block, five, six. I don't know how many issues it is. I'll buy them all. I love Mark. I love Jorge. I was really digging Jorge's Batman until the break. And then he, there, there was some fill-ins and then the writers changed and, and it just kind of, I, I, I got lost, but it was in the pandemic. So it's two years ago where that really ignited. That's the biggest creative team I can tell you in the last three years. And it's been a while. It has been a while. And then you're going to give me a writer. No one I've, so, so my 
the sales that I have given you have never really been moved solely by a writer. You need an artist or you need the artist to become a writer, period. Uh, I, I had this discussion on Twitter. I mean, you cannot deny Frank Miller becomes the writer and artist of Daredevil. It skyrockets, becomes Marvel's number one book. John Byrne, his art is what put the X-Men on top of the world. And then he got two gigs out of it, Fantastic Four and then Alpha Flight. And now he's given him, he's given you 40 plus pages a month at the height of Marvel's popularity in the 80s. Walt Simonson writing and drawing Thor. Howard Chaikin, American Flag, we've talked about it. Keith Giffen becomes the writer and the artist doing stories and art on the Legion of Superheroes. The Jim Starlin. From Captain Marvel to Adam Warlock to Dreadstar, the dude was just money, money, money. And what I mean by that is just success, success, success. So good luck to comic stores. Keep supporting them. We'll, we'll, um, I am hoping that some new organic age where somebody starts doing stuff and two issues in, everyone's like, are you seeing this? My highest recommendation remains Mark Silvestri's Batman Joker, the deadly duo. Uh, Mark is rewriting Batman's you know, artistic legacy with the work that he's doing. He's three issues in. I cannot high, I cannot more highly recommend it to you. So look up Mark Silvestri's uh, Batman Deadly Duo. Again, Batman is the most powerful, you know, arrow in the quiver of, of, of DC Comics. And among those, the best I've seen in two decades is from Mark Silvestri. Check it out. You won't be, you will not uh, regret it one bit. So. The topic of today is a fun one. I, I, I want to I wanna discuss this with you because it's going to kind of set, this is me laying the groundwork for a podcast that is coming, okay? Uh, we have discussed how Sword and Sorcery transformed the genre when Marvel got the rights to Conan, and then everybody cashed in. DC looked to try and get as many, you know, at bats with their version of a successful barbarian because they saw that, wow, Conan took off and running. It, it, I did an, my, my very first Sword and Sorcery uh, podcast is where we cover the rise of Conan and how it went from one book to two books to three books to four titles for Marvel Comics. It absolutely just exploded. And he also, the Marvel licensing of that stuff. I mean, they made gold coins of Marvel Comics. Uh, Conan, Barry Windsor Smith, and John B. Sama Art on those coins. They made calendars. They made posters. Uh, Again, it, 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 there was, you know, Savage Sword of Conan, you know, King Conan, the, the, the monthly Conan. Then they, then they would have spinoffs, Red Sonja, Cole, all the, the entire Robert E. Howard universe got, got launched under the direction of Marvel. But the Barbarian stuff is the only time this has really clicked because as you've already seen, if you're listening to this, the title of this episode is No Shirts, No Shoes, No Service. I'll go better and say No Sales. Uh now, where did I get that, co- that, that coin that phrase from? So I worked at a comic store. If this is the first time you've heard uh, this, this, this you know, part of my bio, uh, right before I broke into comics, after I graduated high school, because I did not go to college, I was just completely uh, working multiple jobs. And this was when I got the comic store job, I had finally been able to uh, just kind of dedicate myself to one job right out the gate. In August of 1985, after I've graduated and come home from Chicago from helping with my family, my, my, my dad had moved, he had another brain surgery, I was asked to come and kind of be his <clears throat> nursemaid every day, which I was happy to do. And so I graduated high school, got in a plane, went with my mom and dad. My dad had his surgery. This one didn't have complications. He got healthy within six to eight weeks. 
And at that point, I returned to California where I had, I, my senior year of high school, and I will always be indebted to my parents for this, they allowed me to live with my sister in her apartment and sleep on the couch. And so I went to uh, my senior year, I was, because they moved the end of my junior year. So I didn't want to not, you know, finish high school uh, at my high school. So, you know, I was allowed those circumstances. It was great. I loved it. Being in Southern California, where I've been born and raised, has always given me a tremendous pleasure. So I returned to Chicago and I worked construction with my buddy, John, who got me a six days a week construction job. I delivered pizzas three nights a week and I was a busboy. I was rolling different jobs. I was terrified. How am I going to make a living? I need to make money. And all the while, the scant hours I had, I would be developing my, my comic book storytelling skills, doing sequential pages, doing, doing figure drawing, whatever. But in 1986 is where I, about a year later, because working all three of those jobs took its toll, I <clears throat> just went to being a clerk at a comic book store because my local comic book store uh, was was branching off and opening another location. That location is Tuscan Tunes and Toys. I was at the original location. I was there when the keys opened the door for the first time. I was there for the launch. Maybe you bought comics from me. Dark Knight and Watchmen were all the rage. Marvel's new universe um, fail had a failure to launch at that time. I mean, it was a fun time in comics. The X-Men, Mark Silvestri arrived on X-Men and saved it from kind of two to three years of just kind of uh, uh, directionless uh, focus. But but Claremont refocused when Mark, somebody of that talented, came on. It was a great time. Uh, was always there on New Comic Book Day, which was Fridays back then. Worked the weekends. Worked Mondays when nobody came in. Because again, I know firsthand what it's like to go, we had one customer today. You know, and that comic book store at the time implemented renting videos. So we tried to compete with Blockbuster so you could get a movie and a comic book. Long story. Anyway, Tustin Tunes and Toys. My buddy Mike uh, purchased it from Matt several years back. It is uh, arguably uh, the top store in Orange County. That and Comic Book Hideout in uh, Fullerton here in Orange County. Uh, those are the top two stores. They remind me of the comic book stores that I loved as a kid. I was thinking of all of this as I was drawing a cover. And and I do multiple versions of covers. I don't settle on a final image until I almost do three to four different finished versions in, in pencil. And then I decide which one I'm going to ink. People who follow my whatnot shows have seen how many times I do different versions of, co- of covers. Uh, I may have only done 30. Uh, Deadpool th- uh, covers on his 30th anniversary, but there are probably 65 total because I did everything twice or three times. Very rarely do I feel like I nail it on the first time. <clears throat> so I keep pursuing and I and I keep trying to work out the better sketch. So this weekend, I am drawing th- this no shirts, no shoes, no service subject matter, which is uh, my buddy Mike who owns Tustin Tunes and Toys as I was looking for Tarzan comic books a few years back in the middle of the week, middle of the afternoon at his store, at his robust, awesome store with incredible back issues, just uh, the the kind of comic store you want. It's got a little bit of everything. It's got a lot of bit of everything. Great store. Highly recommend Tustin Tunes and Toys. And it's in Tustin. If you're in Orange County, check it out. Mike said, Rob, I don't carry that stuff. I go, what? He goes, shirtless guys. Shirtless guys don't sell. They never have. He goes, no shirts, no shoes, no service. Now, what he's borrowing that from is 
Amy Heckerling's Fast Times at Ridgemont High, the, a movie that I, I highly recommend you see if you have not. I, I even more so recommend that you read the book, the original book that Cameron Crowe wrote. My sister bought it, and when she was done with it, I read it in 1981. And Cameron Crowe, the guy who direct, wrote and directed you know, Jerry Maguire, among other things, Vanilla Sky, he was a young <clears throat> reporter for, our, for Rolling Stone. And that's how he got his start. He, he, he tells his, you know, uh, he tells his, his own biography in a, in a movie <laughs> that I should have been prepared to mention, but I don't. Uh, I, I'm not. Almost Famous. There it is. Almost Famous. It, it, it arrived just in time in Almost Famous. <clears throat> well, his big claim to fame was he went undercover at a high school as a senior for one year. Only one teacher and the principal knew it. They had arranged it. And so he walked among these kids. And he was among them and becoming their friends, dating them, whatever he had to do to keep up this ruse. And he wrote an entire book about his year. It's called Fast Times at Ridgemont High. It's brilliant. The book goes much more in detail, has much more stuff. Just, just the grad night at, at, at Disneyland alone. Because if you're here in Southern California, most high schools from LA, San Diego, and Orange County do the grad night. Disney has all these graduation nights where they close the park just for the graduating seniors. And that is a several nights for about a week and a half in June at Disneyland. And so when I went on my own grad night, the whole time I was thinking about, you know, Cameron Crowe's Fast Times at Ridgemont High, which they didn't put in the movie, but in Amy Heckerling's adaptation of Fast Times at Ridgemont High. In the great movie that, that, that has, I mean, look, if you blink, you'll miss. Obviously, Sean Penn is the star. Phoebe Cates, Jennifer Jason Leigh, put them all on the map. Sean Penn, <laughs> the brilliant acting of Sean Penn was discovered by all of us as <clears throat> Spicoli. Hey, Mr. Hand, isn't it, doesn't that make it our time? <laughs> I got a little bit of a throat, uh, uh, a throat, a frog in my throat today, so forgive me. But yeah, Spicoli, um, I mean, they, they knew what they had when he, when he made those scenes. They knew they had magic on, on film. So obviously he became, he's, he's a big character in the book as well. So Spicoli is going into the fast food joint that Judge Reinhold, the actor Judge Reinhold, is, uh, is working at. And if you blink, you'll see Nicolas Cage. Yes, it's, it's I, I think, Nicolas Coppola at the time. That's his, one of his first, but you can't miss him. His face is boom, right there. But I think even Eric Stoltz from Some Kind of Wonderful, Eric Stoltz, the actor Eric Stoltz, he's one of uh, the stoner surfers that hangs out with Spicoli, and they come in without their shirts to eat their... Uh, they're, they're to make to order their, you know, their fast food. And uh, Judge Reinhold guys goes, guys, you know the rules. And on the on the wall, there's a, a sign that says no shirts, no shoes, no service. And Spicoli even says, no shirts, no shoes, no service. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> it's such a great performance. But so when Mike drops this on me, that no shirts, no shoes, no service, I immediately it clicks. I get it. And he's like, Rob. Name me one of those. Name me one of those as a success. Tarzan, uh, Kill Raven, Commandy. He goes, I know you love all that stuff. It doesn't sell. It never has. I, I don't even, if they come in collections, I go, no, thanks. I, I'm not going to buy. I'm, I'm like, but I'm here. I, I need to buy them. He's like, yeah, you're the one. Nobody wants that stuff. So literally, we are going to discuss very briefly, because it's just a fun topic and, it, and it's worth noting, because it's a trend. So we have uh, Conan was the breakout of the shirtless wonders, okay? And you can argue he had shoes because he wore wore boots. (laughs) 
And if, you do, if you're going Liefeld, He-Man, He-Man is not a long-standing successful comic book. He never has been. He does some miniseries and he gets in, he gets out. And He-Man is not shirtless. Technically, yes, but he wears that magnificent gold harness. Okay? So he kind of has armor. He has a, you know, uh, almost what, what, what you'd amount to a, a, a breastplate. But it's, we, let's call it a harness. But once you get done with that, uh, the illustrious history of comic books finds you alongside Torok. The original Torok that I picked up was called Son of Stone. Gold Key did these comics. Torok, Son of Stone. Later, when Valiant got a hold of it, he became Torok. Much better title, I, I'll admit, Dinosaur Hunter. Have you heard of Tor? Because I grew up digging Tor for the few issues that he lasted before he got canceled every single time. Tor covers art. Joe Kubert, no less, okay? Because the thing that's going to blow you away here is this is these are not comics that were not created by super talented folks, okay? These comics are loaded with talent. The shirtless, the no shirts, no shoes, no service guys are loaded to bear with Neil Adams, Barry Smith, Jack Kirby, Joe Kubert, Brent Anderson, John Byrne. I'm just getting started. Uh... Torok, Tor, again, who is Tor? Tor was a caveman. Tor was a freaking caveman who had fantasy adventures. He was raised by a cave tribe, but he was literally, uh, you know, looked like Tarzan, had a loincloth, swung an axe, swung a club, published by DC Comics in 1975. He was originally established in 1954. They revived him in, in, in 1975. You guys know 1974 is the start of my journey. I saw those issues. I bought those issues. Tor is badass. I mean, Again, very few, uh, uh, very few issues. But again, part of this, you know, again, DC's like, hey man, will we ever find our, <laughs> will we ever find our Conan? And really, that uh, you know, that that is what drove so much of this. That's why DC's like, hey, we'll 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 uh, we'll revisit, we'll, we'll revisit uh, Tor. He got six issues, okay. And. Uh, Look, Tarzan and Tor, especially at this time, because Joe Kubert is also doing covers and art for Tarzan, which is published by DC. And did you know that Tarzan had a son? You do if you grew up in the 70s like me. His name is Korak, K-O-R-A-K, Korak. And he was marketed Korak, son of Tarzan, so you wouldn't miss it. Tarzan, Korak, son of Tarzan, all being done by DC, all having at least covers, if not interiors, by the legendary Joe Kubert, who is the father of Andy and Adam Kubert. That, that is one yoked family of talent, okay? Tor uh, had some killer covers, man. That big giant logo, Tor! I mean, uh, great covers, great stuff. And Joe Kubert was, 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 was doing the, was doing the, uh, the artwork. I mean, I, I have my Tor. I look at it. I mean, th- this, this cover to number one, you guys don't even know. You guys do not, it, it, it's this classic cover. He's knocking off what looks to be a bunch of monkey men. It says, Tor the caveman faces the eternal battle for existence. He looks like Tarzan, swinging his big club, his mallet, knocking all these uh, on, on, a, on a mound with only one foot, uh, visible very much in a Frazetta, Frank Frazetta uh, composition. But did I buy all the Tors? Hell yeah, Tor is fighting some other, a bigger guy with an axe. You know, on the cover to tour number five. Um, I mean, I, I just, he's, he's, he's battling dinosaurs because he's a caveman. I mean, he's battling dinosaurs. I, I'm, I'm going to tell you right now, tour number four, just killer, killer stuff. But canceled in six issues. This is like the beginning of the young Robbie Liefeld going, wait, where's issue seven? 
swear this you ate. Wait, is, is it really over? And and like, you know, six months after tour, you know, issue six came out, I'm still showing up because I don't have a newsletter. I don't have the internet to tell me that it got canceled. They didn't really do an announcement. They just stopped publishing them. But uh, again, shirtless guy. Uh, at the same time, they did Claw the Unconquered, okay? <laughs> and if you look at Claw, you'll go, wait, he has the same haircut and the same look as Conan. They just gave him, and they as DC Comics. Again, I, I cover a lot of this in the Swords, Sword and Sorcery podcasts that are in the backlog of their observations. I, I highly recommend that you um, check those out because it was a really big deal in comics because Conan just ran away with it. Here it is. Oh, Ernie Chan, Claw the Unconquered. Oh my gosh. The, again, just Claw is the shit. I love this stuff. And, uh, <laughs> do, do you, <laughs> uh, you know, uh, Claw, uh, d- didn't, didn't, didn't find a whole, whole, whole lot of, uh, you know, didn't find a whole lot of issues. 10 issues by my count. Okay. But, uh, along the way, Keith Giffen, Gave you some claw, um, you know. Uh, uh, Tom DeFalco wrote you some claw, but uh, Claw the Unconquered covers by Joe Kubert, Ernie Chan, uh, and uh, I mean Claw the Unconquered. Uh, th- th- this uh, this amazing. I think it's Claw Nine. Let me let me let me double check that before I before I mislabel it. Uh, sorry, claw number 12, claw number 12. They stopped it briefly and brought it back in 1978. So there was a long pause and claw number 12 has the most badass cover of uh, claw who looks like Conan. His name is C-L-A-W claw, the unconquered. And he's uh, there's a big giant guy who's facing. You only see his back. He's got a big sword. He's holding his helmet in his other hand and all the bodies are dead beneath him a really great joe Kubert cover and uh claw is standing kind of crouching but in a in a battle position ready to receive his you know the swing of his sword and, and the, the guy says you owe me your life claw and i've come to collect look claw was cool but we're talking one year that's it gonzo another no shirts no shoes no service guy now now kazar had had a storied um publication history alongside marvel comics now I had bought some Kazar comics uh, early on because they were still publishing them, publishing them when I was first getting in. But Kazar did not completely just destroy my life and like make me like the biggest Kazar fan. Destroy my life is a good thing. Until he shows up in the uh, Savage Land issues. Uh, I think they're X-Men 113, 14, 15, 16. That's the range they cover. Or in the X-Men uh, Escape Magneto. And they emerge on the other side of his volcano in the Savage Land, which is an established bitchin' prehistoric realm in the Marvel Universe, which I hope we get to see on film sometime soon. I wish to God the Fox Universe had gotten there. They had that. Uh, they had. They, they had the ability. Oh, such a good, st- such good stuff. The battle, the, the villain that the that the uh, the X Men fight in that is a shared Kazar villain named Garrock, G A R O K K. But uh, Kazar discovers the X-Men wandering around in the Savage Land, and there's a three-quarter sp- page splash where he and his um, uh, giant saber-toothed tiger, Zabu, emerge on top of a rock and are looking down on them, and it is the most spectacular, like, dramatic introduction 
of a character into a storyline, not the introduction of the character, because Kazar obviously predates that. My favorite pre-X-Men Kazars, before he teams up with the X-Men, uh, is when Marvel was doing the Astonishing Tales, and I got these as reprints. And um, there are uh, a couple issues worth. Astonishing Tales would feature at this time of of these of these publications would feature um and i think this is like 1969 1970 if i'm if i'm off a year forgive me what i'm looking at right now is astonishing tales number one and it's kazar and dr doom are the co-stars and uh, of of uh of these different scenarios i've got astonishing tales one two and three and the thing that i loved so much about it is Kazar battles Craven the Hunter, which I thought was just the most perfect. Like, you take a Spider-Man villain and you insert Kazar, and they're in the jungle, they're on a boat. Great action sequence. Kirby drew a, a fantastic version of Kazar. But Kazar, even in, in, in the 1980, they launch, Marvel launches a new Kazar series. And I'm going to tell you something. It's worth hunting down. They've been doing trades of it lately. It was written by a gentleman named Bruce Jones. I had never encountered his work until that time. He was originally married to Louise Jones, who would go on to move into, they would divorce and she would become the wife of Walt Simonson, become Louise Simonson. But Bruce Jones is a hell of a writer. These Kazars that he launched in the 80s, drawn by Brent Anderson, who was from the Neil Adams School of Depiction of Art, of Drawing, of Faces, of Figures, definitely a, a Neil Adams uh, stylish guy, but, but with his own kind of approach to rendering. He, the, 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 the dialogue, this was not the Kazar you've encountered before. This was like, I, I, like Quentin Tarantino writing Tarzan. The, the discussions, the dialogue, the back and forth that Kazar and Sheena Shira would have um, was just uh, just amazing. The banter, the, the, the way they talked, it was very modern and it wasn't like people in the jungle. And uh, it was uh, just like something, I, it was like a new approach. And, and they knew, they knew they had something. They knew they had something special uh, with, with these Bruce Jones, Brent Anderson uh, comic books. I, and, and I'm telling you, so yeah, they've, they've even made this into an omnibus and they should because they're freaking brilliant. It was groundbreaking. It was, uh, it just had a different tone and a different, uh, 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 completely different flavor. Again, it was very modern. You did not on, on any, uh, level think that you were like, uh, Shanna, I, I called her Shira. It's Shanna the She Devil, Kazar's uh, girlfriend, co-star. The dialogue, the awareness, just uh, the topics. The, the, it just they Bruce Jones brought an an incredible fresh approach that felt so modern. And it was like, wait, what? it was it, it was coming out right around the time that Frank Miller was taking over Daredevil. And I don't talk about it enough i really enjoyed like the first years with the kazars and then i fell off but it was the most i'd ever dug kazar but did kazar go the distance no eventually canceled no shirt no shoes no service is that the one that i would recommend the most yes but kazar has always kind of struggled even in the 90s with 
I think it's Andy Kubert and Mark Wade. Again, they tried another at bat. It just didn't go the distance. These, again, Mike, love you, man. You're, you're brilliant. The owner of Tunes and Toys. When I, when I think about it, I cannot, you know, dispute what he says that they just have a long history of not working. Now, really, other than, than Conan, the most celebrated of all these, now I can go to Kill Raven. Kill Raven, who was depicted by Howard Chaikin, Neil Adams. Kill Raven is a futuristic, you know, kind of a slave that breaks off and breaks against a futuristic society, sci- super sci-fi War of the Worlds, born from a Marvel depiction of War of the Worlds. And they focus on this character, Kill Raven, and they're battling the oppression of the Martians the entire time. I know Kill Raven very well because I have five issues of Kill Raven that I drew, that I illustrated. Two issues are even colored, but they are going nowhere fast. I now drew them 15 years ago for Marvel. Robert Kirkman wrote them. Now, the, the interesting bridge to what I'm about to tell you, because I'm about to tell you, in my estimation, the most successful of all the no shirts, no service guys is Commandy. But to get to Commandy, to, to, to wrap up Kill Raven, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to open a door to Commandy. Now, if you get those War of the Worlds books, and again, great P. Craig Russell, Howard Chaikin, Neil Adams, all... Uh, lend their considerable talents to Kill Raven. Just like those Tarzans that I was looking for that started this all off. Now, Tarzan, again, published by Gold Key, published by DC, published by Marvel, published by Dark Horse. I mean, Tarzan is a huge brand of a long ago, a, a, a very long time ago. Look, in what was it, 2016, 2017, when the the uh, uh, Tarzan film uh, with Skarsgård, Margot Robbie, uh, Maybe Sam Jackson, really well made. Really, made. The, the guy who made the Harry Potter movies directed it, but it had a failure to, you know, find new life and to launch into a brand new, you know, multifaceted, you know, four quadrant entertainment group. And and it just, I loved it. I saw it a couple times. Took my family, dug it. But uh, Tarzan has struggled to stay relevant. Great cartoons when I was growing up. He was a newspaper strip. So many of these, you know. Uh, so many of these have been n- newspaper strips as well. Tarzan had a glorious run at Marvel Comics. The, the, the DC stuff in the 70, from 72 to 75, but then Marvel got the license. And John Buscema came on board because John Buscema had wanted to do Tarzan in the first issue. He pencils and inks all himself. He shows you how much he loves it. Russ Manning had been doing uh, another classic comic book illustrator look him up russ manning beautiful art he eventually went on to do the star wars daily comic strip he did the first year's worth year and a half worth of daily um uh maybe a couple of years worth but definitely the first year and a year and a half of the star wars yes star wars star wars right after the movie 1977 was launched as a daily comic book syndicated strip in the new york times and the la times in the orange county register i i would cut them out every day and put them into a photo album stacking them i was so addicted russ manning uh, Russ Heath, tremendous talents have contributed to the success of Tarzan. But when he got to Marvel, John Buscema said, I'm doing a whole bunch of these. And he knocked it out of the park. And there are a couple issues that Neil Adams inked over uh, John Buscema. And nothing is better than two stellar, amazing, you know, once-in-a-lifetime, Mount Rushmore-level talents jamming together. Neil Adams himself said, Rob, I loved inking John Buscema. I, would, I, I am his best inker. I would not argue that. He, they, they jammed together on Conan a couple times as well. 
But when Neil Neil's uh, studio would take it over, he would always do a couple dedicated, you know, from top to bottom pages. And I was seeking those issues. He even he inked a couple covers over John B. Sema on Tarzan. So that's what I was pursuing that day at Tustin Tunes and Toys. Ironically, that pursuit would take me to Pittsburgh, to Philadelphia, all these different conventions where I was hunting, 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 and I eventually got a complete because uh, I was missing holes in my collection because not all of those comic books arrived at my spinner racks when I was a kid. So, you know, Tarzan had been attempted time and time again. But whether it's Commandy, whether it's Tarzan, whether it's Killraven, and Killraven and Tarzan, again, share the super talented, uh, you know, roster of artists. Again, uh, when you get Howard Chaikin, uh, P. Craig Russell, Neil Adams, John Buscema, all jumping back and forth, whether it's Tarzan, Kill Raven at Marvel. And they just, they don't last. They don't, they don't, they, they don't stick the landing. Gil Kane, John Carter, Warlord of Mars. John Carter, again, not, John Carter didn't just fail as a giant movie a decade ago, 13, 11 years ago. The, the, the John Carter uh, comic book did two years and was out at Marvel Comics at the height of them hunting like Edgar Rice Burroughs stuff, getting back into the, again, this is alongside the time they had Tarzan. I bought every single John Carter, Warlord of Mars. I bought every single Tarzan that I could. I bought the Korak son of Tarzan in DC. I, saw, I bought the DC Tarzans by Joe Kubert. I bought the Khazars. I bought the Claw of the Unconquered. I bought the Turok dinosaur hunters. I bought Tor. They all got canceled. The thing that unites the tribe is they all fail to get to those extra higher publication numbers. Collectively, many of them don't make it past Nine issues. Tor, six issues. Okay. Claw the Unconquered. Can't like paused at issue seven, returns, does a back five, waves goodbye. Okay. So the no shirts, no shoes, no service really outside of Conan the Barbarian, even Cole, even King Cole cannot go the distance with again Mike Plug, John Severin, great, great talents. Yes, the Severins are brother and sister, not husband and wife, as I mistakenly identified them in an earlier podcast. Um Joe Kubert, again, I, th- these are these are like Hall of Famers. So let's get to Kirby. Again, I said he did these Khazars. Kirby's New Gods was not launching in the way it, they launched, but they didn't take in the way that he had dreamed. His in- incredible fourth world saga was almost generations ahead in terms of like how it was going to be appreciated and how it was going to be um, really worshipped by the generations that followed. But uh, Jack did a book, his longest running book, and he did 40 issues uh, of this title that he wrote and drew called Commandy, K-A-M-A-N-D-I. I cannot recommend a series more, the omnibus alone. Look, here's the deal. When I say that, I mean, as you're flipping through the pages, I can't imagine, as, you, as I did earlier this morning, I have multiple, they were breaking these up into hardcovers in the early 2000s, and then recently they did the omnibus in the last couple of years. So now I can just look at one book, but whether it was trade paperback, hardcovers, the single issues, I have all these commandies. So he was wrapping up his commandy run as I was, uh, commandy was coming out in the last of the Kirby books, the last of the Kirby issues had shipped and he was working on returning to Marvel comics, but commandy, every time I saw it and it was, it didn't hide its influence. Like so many of us, we don't hide our influences. We wear, we wear them, you know, openly, 
Commandy is Jack Kirby walking out of 1968, 1969, whatever, Planet of the Apes, whenever that was released. I should have a, a, a date on it, and I can do that in just one second because I know there's those nitpickers, and I love to please the nitpickers because, I mean, what else is new, right? <clears throat> no, not Planet Fit, Fit, Fitness. <laughs> Planet of the Apes, baby. Planet of the Apes. Oh, my gosh. No, I, I, I need the original, okay? Um, so the novel, Planet of the Apes, because I love these dates, you know, by Pierre Boulle. Uh, came out in 1963. I was correct. The film started in 1968, Charlton Huston. So as a kid, those movies, I've talked to you about the Monday through Friday films, martial arts, monsters, Godzilla, Go Ape Week. I've, I've, I've seen other people talk about this on Facebook. It's hilarious. Now, how does this, it, this directly relates in case you're wondering to Commandy. Jack Kirby walked out of probably beneath the planet of the apes because they had had two of them by the time he did Commandy and said, I can do this. Commandy is the last boy on earth discovered in command d a bunker called command d uh he his grandfather his grandfather lets him out to go explore the world that they've survived there's been a great holocaust and command d opens on a raft you see the statue of liberty submerged underwater in the same way that the statue of liberty is submerged at the end of planet of the apes on the beach now that, that can't possibly be a spoiler for you if it is i'm sorry but when i saw it for the first time it it really truly was you know, a spoiler. When I saw it as a kid in Charlton Heston at the end, you realize he's not on another planet. He's on Earth. It's just completely in the future. Man is now dominated by apes who are, you know, the primary dominant species. Well, Jack loved that and decided to do his own version of that. And I, I think he's unabashedly, unapolog- uh, unapologetically open about that. He goes through the lens of command, of commandy, because he was born in Command D raised by his grandfather when he's out in his raft there's a scene like planet of the apes when he comes along with a group of a tribe of humans drinking from the water and they get scared of him they can't talk and they all run away from him in the similar way that charlton heston and his astronaut buddies come across the humans in the cornfields before they're herded by the apes in the original planet of the apes so he sees the humans run from him. He realizes, oh, there's more like me. But you see New York City is submerged in water. The Statue of Liberty is up to her, you know, chin. And uh, I mean, again, imagery openly borrowed by one of the most successful sci-fi franchises of all time at this time. And so Jack then has Commandy wander back to his bunker where his grandfather has been killed by talking, you know, tigers and lions. The animals talk. They're dressed in human clothes. He goes way. He's like, what can I do better than the apes? I can make all the animals talk. There's talking tigers, talking lions. There are also also talking gorillas. Every basic animal. Uh, I mean, there's, an, there's, there's, there's lions and tigers dressed like pirates. Okay. Um, this begins this 40 issue odyssey. By the end of the first issue, he's met others like him. He meets Ben Boxer. He uh, makes friends along the way. And uh, he explores this brave new world that's, that's set in this very Planet of the Apes type scenario. Commandy wears no shirt. He wears blue shorts and some shoes. He's blonde haired. He looks very much in the same way that Jack depicted Kazar, except his Kazar his Kzar was slightly more buff. He really does do a good job of keeping Commandy as that kind of 18 year old um, for the most part. But Commandy, again, he looks very primitive with his torn jean shorts his blonde hair but he occasionally picks up the the badass gun and 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 fires it um commandy is a masterpiece it's not discussed in the same 
realm as the Fantastic Four, but it should be, and it will be. Eventually, I know we're going to get a big screen take on Commandy, and we're all going to dig it. Uh, when you go see Avatar 2, when I was watching Avatar 2, the human character Spider, Korich's supposed son, that they call Spider, with his mask, with his breathing apparatus, or without it, he looks exactly like Commandy. He, I, I was like, Jim, James Cameron is kind of teasing us with how he would depict Commandy here. The shorts, the bare chest, bare legs. Uh, he looks, I'm, I'm looking all morning through my 40 issues of Commandy, and Spider will jump out at you as well as you look at this stuff. I believe that there is a great deal of success, but, but DC just cannot seem to give it. It's worth another try. So much so that I had a pitch. I sent it to Dan Dan DiDio in 2005. I was doing the Titans. I told him how much I wanted to do Commandy. And I shared with him a concept for Commandy, which found him, Ben Boxer, his friends, going through another city. Let's say revisiting Manhattan. And they are rummaging through a building for supplies. And they see this glowing light from this room of this other building, of which they then enter into. And when they exit it, it's a glowing platform. And they debate whether they should take the risk. They throw an object onto the platform. It vanishes. It doesn't vaporize. It just vanishes. And they clearly see it vanishes. They see a handheld device dropped next to it with coordinates. And Commandy and Ben Boxer believe that it is a portal of some sort. And maybe this will be a chance for them to go back in time and reset what has gone wrong. What it is, in fact, is a platform to the JLA satellite which is high above the earth and commandy and his friends go into the portal and they emerge in the justice league satellite because in the 70s justice league did all of their business from a satellite it was cool it set them apart from every other superhero team and they would you know have their meetings there batman and zatanna and flash and green lantern and green arrow and hawkman and black canary they'd all meet together on the justice league in the justice league satellite and plan their next you know, their next steps. It was cool. Commandy and Ben Boxer, they, they emerge in the satellite. And you find Green Arrow's arrow and his, you know, his bow. And you see Batman's utility belt. And among the other items they find just in time, it turns out, is Green Lantern's ring, which Ben Boxer is able to wield because they have to, because an android which is Amazo, who was a android built that had all the different Justice League's power, is half of his face is torn off and uh, he's kind of on the fritz and he's been up there all, all this time, you know, hundreds of years since the great disaster, the great Holocaust. And uh, of course, Ben Boxer and Commandy are able to, utilizing these weapons, defeat this uh, glitchy android. <clears throat> At which time they then journey back down to Earth with this, these, these new weapons, items, remnants of the Justice League. And because there's a beacon and they're going to follow the beacon and see who, is, who among them is alive. And maybe, just maybe find a survivor of the Justice League back on Earth in the Great Refuge in some form or another, and they were eventually going to make their way to Paradise Island. This is in 2005. It is rejected by Dan DiDio, who, um, you know, at the time, I didn't take it personally. I still don't. It doesn't, you know, I think his entire 
run at DC is is one where he kind of misses the point mostly, and and he has questionable taste. Um, you know, a broken clock is right twice twice a day. So you you can say you're a broken clock and 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 cheer that, but again. I share this in mixed company at the very next San Diego Comic Company. I share the uh, comic convention in San Diego. Joe Casada is among the people that I am sharing this with in San Diego. The next day, Joe is walking through the uh, the Hyatt, you know, foyer, the 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 lobby. Excuse me, the lobby of the Hyatt. Kirkman and I, Robert Kirkman of Walking Dead Invincible fame, he had a uh, gig regular gig with Marvel at the time. He says, uh, "Hey Rob, would you do that commandy? You know, pitch that you did, that you pitched at DC. Would you do that with us as Kill Raven and 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 Robert would write it?" And I said, "That sounds awesome. Yes, it's a deal. Yes." And so was set in motion this uh, Kill Raven series that I drew. A hundred pages of they exist. I was looking at them in my drawers the other night. The, the, all the different pages. Robert stepped up to the plate based on my initial pitch and wrote the most amazing five issues. I, I personally think it was the best thing he ever did at Marvel. It didn't obviously see print, so it can't be. But having read all of his Marvel stuff and loving all of it, I think this tops each and every page he did. He really rose to the occasion. I tried to match him as best I could. That assessment would be with you. I've mentioned this before on unpublished stories two, two, three, three years ago, early on in this podcast. But just so you know, I put my money where my mouth is. I chased a shirtless wonder. Now, did I put a shirt, a, more of an armament, like what we talked about He-Man having a harness on Kill Raven? I did. I, I was following the no shirts, no shoes, no service, you know, motto way before i heard mike put it in those terms but commandy is begging to be done fantastically because it is kirby's most realized most rich uh world and because he was writing and drawing it's the longest series he wrote and drew himself he certainly will tell you that he did most of the writing on fantastic four but those credits were shared with stan lee i've been in situations like that where that you're miscredited it sucks but you have to deal with it um, but but certainly after his 101 issues of Fantastic Four, the most celebrated thing that Jack ever did, and it, it lasted a little while without him with another creative team. Uh, but it is Jack's most successful, and 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 I believe the most successful of the uh, the most successful of the the no shoes, no shirt, no service, no sales guys. Because uh, if I am correct, after he left, again, let me, let me, let me check and see. I, I know Jack did the 40 issues. Uh, and uh, <clears throat> um, I'm just checking to see exactly. There were 59 issues. So I, don't, I, I think it is among the most accomplished, most influential, most inspirational of all the no shirts, no service guys. Now, again, look at these 10 names. Cole. Conan, Torok, Tor, Claw, Kazar, Commandy, Killraven, Korak, Tarzan. That's 10. And I left some off. I didn't, I didn't mention Beowulf, which was a series that, that uh, DC did at the time during their sword and sorcery awakening. Um, this, these, these, are, these are tough nuts. Uh, 
none of these have a longstanding uh, success in comics. Tarzan would probably be the one that comes after Conan to mind because Tarzan was a successful TV show, you know, uh, starring Ron Eli, who would go on to portray Doc Savage, who also struggled to wear a shirt uh, on, on the big screen. Uh, Doc Savage, I could do an entire episode and probably will soon on Doc Savage alone. The reason I'm going through these shirtless wonders is it's setting the stage for a podcast to come about a series you may have never heard of. That is uh, an epic journey I'm going to take you on. But this really sets sets the table now. These books cover the 60s, 70s, and 80s. Okay, certainly Tarzan, you know, gets you the furthest back. Well, actually, you know, Tor, 1954. I mean, again, we, we can go back to the 50s with these shirtless wonders. None of them have these long-standing imprints. But then you go and you, you look at something like Avatar and no one has their shirt on except they're blue. They're all blue, but they don't have their shirt on and it works because James Cameron is a freaking wizard. But um, Kazar, Killraven, Tarzan, Korak, Tor, Torak, Conan, Cole, and Commandy. I had to take you on this tour today. There is a connective tissue that my retailer, Mike, at Tustin Tunes and Toys, was, I mean, bullseye, bullseye, the shirtless guys. What's our deal? Why don't we support them more? Why is Conan and He-Man the only technically shirtless guys that have connected? I don't know. Uh, but the history, the talent, Barry Smith, he didn't just do Conan, he did Cole as well, okay? Neil Adams put his imprimatur on Tarzan, on Killraven, and on Conan. Jack Kirby on Kazar and Commandy. Joe Kubert on Tarzan, Tor, Korak, Claw. Brent Anderson, Kazar, John Byrne did a fantastic Kazar in the pages of X-Men. Turned me on in a way to that character that I had not previously. Uh, something to consider. We, th- this is a trend that there's enough evidence to convict, okay? Let's be honest. We would have to uh, present a conviction on this one because, you know, the, the track record of these collective titles is such that, that there's something to no shirt. No shoes, no service. So, like I said, there's there's a there was a reason for this podcast. It, it serves as a primer for something that's coming, and it's it's uh, it's it's just good to have this be in your bonnet, have this history, uh, the struggle of the shirtless hero, and and the struggle to stay relevant. Uh, I mean, there's just there's just something to it, you know, overall. But it was a it was a subject that we got to kind of get get a really good roundabout understanding of before I, I lay this, uh, this, this new journey on you that I'm going to be bringing to you very shortly, very possibly the next episode. You guys are so good to me. I, I just appreciate all of you and, and, and the uh, time that you take to listen to the show and the feedback that you give me. I'm so routinely just blown away by the uh, generosity and the kindness that you show this show. And as you guys know, at the end of every show, I share with you the, uh, the reviews that you leave on a leave for the show on the, on, on the platform. And I am, uh, the, the, uh, just always again, blown away by, by the way that you, uh, you guys generously, <laughs> uh, support this show. When you leave a review for us, if you, Wherever you leave the reviews, I generally find them to make their ways to me somehow. Um, I share them at the end of the show. And, and so today, we, uh, 
I'm just so appreciative when you guys commit to sharing reviews and you give us five stars and you say such nice things. It helps us stand out on the platform. It gives us a greater profile. So, you know, I just, again, appreciate it. Uh, it says, excellent podcast, five stars. This is by far my favorite podcast. It, by, by the way, this is from Yag Hajan, Y-A-G-H-J-A-N. This was left on January 9th, Yag Hajan. Excellent podcast, five stars. This is by far my favorite podcast. As a huge fan of Rob's work from back in the Hawk and Dove days, then really being drawn to his New Mutants X-Force work, and then the big jump to Image, I've enjoyed and followed his career over 30 years. This podcast is a great reflection of the past and present comic book world, and you can hear his love and passion for this world. Thank you, Rob, for such a great podcast, and he gives me three exclamation points. Hey, that's what it's all about, the passion and weaving it all together. Uh, comics are just on my mind all the time, and 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 I, I think if if that's something that I can really translate through this show, I, I'm really... A, that's what I'm most appreciative that this podcast has allowed me an outlet to just share my passion and take you on journeys. And maybe you didn't know that these shirtless uh, wonders didn't uh, translate in sales, but I mean, I gave you 10 examples of, of, of with tremendous talent of them, you know, failing to, to, to really stick long-term. And it's, 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 again, there's enough of, as I said, enough evidence to convict and to say this is a this 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 is a hard trend that these things struggle. And again, do I still want to do my commandy? Am I waiting for the right people at DC to go do that? Sure, I would do it tomorrow. I hope someday the Kill Raven stuff sees the light of day. It's not a source of bitterness for me whatsoever. I don't want you to take that away. Um, I want you to understand. I'm just happy to have done it. Uh, it the work belongs to Marvel. We'll see. Maybe someday we can we can make it happen. Uh, I am so thankful that you guys listen to the show, all of you, and that you share your passion with others. We are growing leaps and bounds. I am blown away uh, since the break we came back and our listener base has just exploded. And that is a result of the word of mouth that you're giving this show. And again, I just, I can't, uh, I can't thank you enough. So thank you. Uh, on social media, Outside of this podcast, you can catch me on Twitter. I'm full name at Robert Liefeld. I didn't get the Rob Liefeld name for Twitter. That guy is a phony. Uh, I have the blue check to verify that it really is me. I know those blue checks are questionable nowadays, but hey, you take what you can get. Robert Liefeld, R-O-B-E-R-T-L-I-E-F-E-L-D, my full name. Um, I'm, I'm very chatty Kathy, and it's the account that's going to share this podcast with you. So that's how you know uh, that's me. I love talking to you guys, hearing your ideas, going back and forth, the conversations we have, the mentions, the DMs. I read them all. I try and interact with you as regularly as I possibly can. Thank you for following me on Twitter. On Instagram, I am at Rob Liefeld. I was able to jump early. Got Rob Liefeld. Another blue check. It's really me. Uh, that's my photo dump of my life, my family, my art, my toys, whatever. Uh, it's kind of a photo uh, diarrhea uh, of, of, of Rob's love of pop and family. So give me a, give me a follow if you'd like over there on Instagram. You can find me again. I read your comments, your messages, your DMs. And uh, I just thank you for reaching out and, and, and talking to me on these platforms. On Facebook, we have a group, Rob Liefeld, Marvel Extreme and Beyond is the group. It is administered and moderated by myself and a gentleman named Terry Sala. We are the people who will click you through to the other side of the, uh, the, the membership request. So that is our group, Rob Liefeld. Uh, Marvel Extreme and Beyond. We discuss the podcast, 
uh, over there a lot. Uh, pop culture stuff, titles I've worked on, art I've made. Um, so join in the conversation. Those conversations are never ending. They're daily. We are clicking new people through all the time and uh, and, and and getting your posts through. So join us over on Facebook. That group is Rob Liefeld, uh, Marvel, Extreme, and Beyond. And it is administered, moderated by myself and Terry, S-A-L-A, Terry Sala. So that's how you know you will have landed at the right place. There is an app. It is crazy awesome. It is called Whatnot. I am on it right now. Uh, twice a week, but you can find out if you follow me, Rob Liefeld on whatnot and see which shows that I have scheduled because I'll schedule a show and it'll show up and that's how you'll know. Generally, they're on Wednesdays and Saturdays. I'm not sure I can keep up that pace, but um, again, if you follow me on the on the, uh, on the the whatnot platform, you can find out when my shows are scheduled. What whatnot does is it offers you state-of-the-art uh, retailers, sellers, pop culture uh, items, from sports gear and kicks and jerseys to sports cards to uh, the 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 manga and anime that my my youngest son loves so much and by youngest I mean twenty years old the uh, you know whether it's Yu Gi Oh Pokemon uh, whatever whatever all these different collectible uh, card games uh, they're all available always you know rare and 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 you know rare cards packs same with comics. You get Bronze Age, Silver Age, you get slabs, you get graded stuff. On my feeds, when I'm on my live stream, I offer uh, signed, customized comics, uh, toys, Funko Pops, and original art. We, we do it all. We share it all. It's so fun. I've been on it now four months, having the time of my life, interacting with the crowd there. Uh, I am talking to you the entire time. There's not somebody selling on my behalf. It is me. It is my uh, goofy face that you're going to be looking at. And I'll be talking to you for 90 minutes, two hours, three hours, how, however long our shows go, because we're just having a good time. And the feedback is in immediate. A lot of people think it's an extension of this podcast, which I would argue that it kind of is. I'm, I'm, I'm going to try and clean up my act and be a little more uh, 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 co- conscious of what I say over there now that you can, I guess, look at the old shows that didn't used to be the case. You can go back and look at previous shows. I thought they were like one and done and they burned up like you know, a Mission Impossible message, but now they're surviving. But anyway, I'm talking to you the entire time, sharing with you signed custom uh, signatures. We, we've developed all sorts of weirdo new signatures on that show, and 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 you'll have to find out what a, you know, a, a blood splatter drop shadow chisel is, or what a drop shadow chisel is, or what a chisel is. Ch- check it out. We offer all that stuff. We have a number of whatnot exclusives. I did a Spider-Man exclusive with them. I did a Brigade exclusive with them. And I did a Deadpool New Mutants exclusive with them. So that stuff you can only get on the whatnot, on the whatnot um, live streams when I'm there. So give me a follow over on what's not, whatnot. Download the app. You'll have a, a great time. Again, shopping for all the other stuff I mentioned at, at, at the jump of this topic. Comics, magazines, toys, sneakers, cards. It's got it all. What I want most from you is to know that you're doing good being a a father of three kids having raised them building our family i i have realized what is important in life is our spiritual emotional physical and mental well-being and uh certainly we've been we have been tested these last few years in in the in in the fires of that pandemic and all of the crazy just that was a time when it just felt like the world exploded the summer of that pandemic was just incredible. Uh, it, it just it probably was the time where my mental fortitude was tested the most. Again, having to be uh, the father of a family with, you know, I had two kids in high school at the time, and my son suddenly, you know, his sophomore year at college was stopped. He couldn't go back 
My kids' schooling was stopped. Again, we were as parents, as adults, we had a lot of things to figure out. That's when I had to go and find my time on my beanbag uh, under the window with the sunshine and, and read novels and graphic novels and listen to music and watch movies and just get, get away and, and, and settle myself so that I can make the best decisions. Because sometimes that's the stuff that calms me down. Now, did I do it while downing a cookie and a potato chip and a candy bar and a cupcake and maybe some gelato? I did. Yes. And that's what I suggest for you to have fun. Make your downtime fun. Your cheat day should have comic books and junk food. That's my personal opinion. But, you know, I, I don't, also don't want to be uh, accused of, 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 you know, asking you to do something terribly bad for your health, which I'm, I'm sure all that processed sugar isn't good for me either, but I, it, it hasn't stopped me from consuming it. So anyway, find that time to enjoy and, and find pleasure in the arts. Uh, it's what we turn to. You know, we, we, we up those streaming services. We gave them their biggest traffic when we couldn't go to theaters. We consume more comics, more collectibles. We escaped to find our solace. And I just wish the best for you and hope that you take that time, find your recliner, your beanbag chair, um, your place on that couch, and just detox and just get away from it all. I'm rooting for you always. Uh, I'm, I'm, you know, I read something the other day that says, hey, you know, you can always count on me. I'm on your side. I'm rooting for you. And, and that's how I feel. So I'm rooting for you guys. Hope you are all doing fantastic as I'm about to sign off the show. And I will uh, look forward to seeing you again because you know I'm going to be here rocking this mic, uh, dropping some latest comic book story, legacy tale. And, uh, and I very much hope that you will find me here. Uh, I look forward to inevitably, absolutely, most certainly talking to you again real soon.